we were leveled off at about 85,000 individual golfers as part of our membership. We've now eclipsed 110,000 individual golfers that are a part of our community now. And we're going to see that continue to grow. That was Jesse Menachem, director of Mass Golf. He's today's guest on the On Course podcast. Welcome to the On Course podcast presented by New England Golf Journal. I'm Sean Melia. I have my co-host, Jim McCabe, next to me. Jim, how you doing? I'm doing well. Real well. So we're going to open today with, with a topic. You said you could, you seem like you could talk about this for, for <laughs> days. I want to ask you about your golf pet peeves for a few minutes There's before only we one. bring in Jesse. There's only one. Is it well, a, is it's, a big it's, one? It's, it's very, very big. It's the, <laughs> it's the biggest problem in golf. What is so difficult? about putting a peg in the ground, putting a tee in the ground, and then taking it out. It oh. drives me bonkers. This is a new one. I've never heard this before. That when I go up to a tee box and I go to put my tee in the ground and I can't because i got to move it three inches or i got to dig out a pink tee and green tees. And that's another That's a side note. They shouldn't have colored tees. It should be brown, maybe white. Or if you have a colored blue and green or something. But what is so difficult about taking the tee out? I, I've never understood. People can't explain it to me. I put two tees in my pocket before the round. Yep. A little one for par threes. Okay. If I'm going to hit an eye, and, and I only use wooden uh, plastic tees, should be banned. And I, I suggest anyone who leaves their tee, and especially a plastic one, in the ground needs to go up to every superintendent who cuts grass, tee boxes, and apologize for all the blades that they've destroyed. Helps destroy. That's an amazing pet peeve. I have oh, never yeah. heard of that one. Yeah. So you walk on the tee boxes and you you're automatically in a bad mindset because every tee box has has tees kind of buried in yeah. it, or you yeah. get the I you am, get the heads uh, of the I, tees. I, I spend that from my certain friends will look at me and go, "How much house cleaning are you going to do?" And I you go around with your divot repair and pull them you out. You pull them out. out. I, I do. I pull them out. And, and the, the crazy thing is they get the box right there, a little trash the, box. Yeah. Put it in there and just toss your broken tea in there. If yeah. you broke it, fine. If it, if it kicks up and goes on the rough and you don't see it, sure. that's fine. And I had this discussion with a friend of mine, a couple of and they laugh. They, they, they know it's my number one pet peeve. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, just, it's so far number one, I'm not even sure what my second pet peeve is. <laughs> I just don't understand it. And what cracks me up is my friends say, remember in the day, we used to have to pay for our tees. There's a, lot, there's a whole two generations of golfers. Thing. Yeah. Everybody gets Three tees. No, look at they're giving out tees. I'm going to take 40 of them and, and put them in their bag. We used to pay. A little, little, they little give you a little plastic bag. bag yeah. Put about 10 tees in there and they were 50 cents. And that was a big deal. Yep. Well, you'd buy two club specials and a little bag of tees and you were <laughs> off on your merry way. But now people go in and they get a handful. And they, oh my God, they're giving the tees. I love these tees. And they get out a handful. I'm like, how many tees do you need? Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. That's, that's a great pet that's peeve. My, that's number one. So mine is story. Mine has to do with tee boxes too. Do you ever play with people who just decide they're going to tell an entire story on the tee box? Yes, yes. Before yes. they yes. tee off. Yes. And you're standing there for a good two or three minutes and they're yeah. telling a story that really is going nowhere. It's not going anywhere. There, I, like, I have not really been ever told a <laughs> phenomenal tee box story. 
They're never great. They're just there to fill time, and no. maybe the storyteller yeah. is just trying to, I don't know, impress whoever is in the group or whatever. Yeah, especially going with tea box. It's fine down the fairway. When you're going, yeah. every tea box you go to is, to me, it's like walking into the chamber of horrors because... Well, you've got your tea situation. Yeah, I, got, so I, I, I know I'm going to have to clean the tea box. <laughs> but also it's like, okay, your tea shot it sets up the entire hole. Yep. I mean, you, hit a, you, you just pour your heart and soul into your tea ball. I'm not long, and the driver's in my hand just about all the time. And I'm like, okay, just let me get through this tee shot, and then I'm fine. Then then I'm fine. I'm mean, yep. not fine. My score is not going to be fine, <laughs> but okay. Yeah, but to go walk into a tee, and all of a sudden, let's start telling a story. I'm like, no, let's not. Yeah, though it's just it, as brutal. I, yeah. I agree. Continue it down the fairway. You can start your story, hit no. your shot. Don't hold me hostage on the tee box while I'm trying to hit my tee shot as well. Some people like to do that, where they've already hit their shot, and they're kind of talking to you, and you yeah, don't want to be yeah. rude and tee <laughs> off. Man, yeah. so that's that's my biggest pet peeve. Two tee box pet peeves. I love it. Yeah. I love yeah, it. Yeah. Like I said, the, there are probably others I have. I mean, Oh, well, showing a tee time, people not knowing. Oh, I mean, I've always just, felt like... Your, your tea time is one hour before whatever your arrival time is one hour before your tea time. I mean, 45 minutes. Yeah. Maybe. Okay, we're, we're 210 tea time and it's 207. People and, screaming and, in know, the parking and lot. Like, and, and I just, no, I, I've never understood why, why it's so difficult yeah. to get there. All right, people, show up for your tea times on time and. Make sure you clean up your teas. Yeah, this is a great, great little task for everyone this summer. Go pick up a couple of teas out of the tea boxes and, and help out the supers and Jim's mental state. Let's bring in Jesse Menachem, director of Mass Golf, to talk about the economic impact report that just came out and kind of all things Mass Golf. All right, welcome back. We want to introduce Jesse Menachem to the podcast, the director of Mass Golf, a very busy man. Jesse, welcome. Thank you both. It's great to be with you and looking forward to the discussion. Yeah, we're on the kind of the cusp of the season really, really jumping off. So appreciate you taking the time to, to join us. Well, definitely. You've, you've had a kind of a interesting week. You released an economic impact report. That's kind of where I thought we could start just to crunch some numbers. You got two writers on the other side of the screen here. We just love to look at numbers in the billions. But it was a, it was a, I kind of read through it. It was a pretty compelling, interesting kind of read and summary, and you rolled it out and were very excited about it. Just could you kind of give us a general feel for what this impact report's job is? And it's you've done it in 2012 was the last one you did. Just kind of give us a, a big picture of, of what it was and, and why, why you do it. Certainly. Yeah, this is an important vehicle for our industry and specifically the Alliance of Mass, Massachusetts Golf Organizations. There's eight organizations that make up that conglomerate, and it's really the group that represents all of golf within the state through advocacy and support, whether it's your golf course superintendents, your PGA professionals, your individual golfers, those that, that consume the game, work in the game, and, and enjoy the game. AMGO has been around for a couple of decades, a little bit more behind the scenes in certain capacities, but more recently, folks might re recall back in 2020 through the pandemic, working with the governor, lieutenant governor, to, to get golf open safely, timely, and in a manner that would work for, for everybody, given such a new space and new territory for everybody who was managing that. 
Specific to this impact study, though, so you, you called out the last one we did was back in 2012, and it was rolled out in 2015. And we felt a 10-year or so cadence would be appropriate. So we can really share the important statistics of how this game really impacts the state, the economy, jobs, charitable efforts, all of the above. And really pleased to share. So we captured 2022 data, pretty monumental year for golf in Massachusetts, which maybe we'll talk a little bit more about. But it was important for us to highlight that because the total economic impact jumped from $2.7 billion now to $3.3 billion. Charitable impact is over $72 million. And there's organizations that, that support golf charities, whether it's Golf Fights Cancer, the Francis We Met Scholarship Fund. But on top of that, there's jobs and wages that are seen through the golf industry. If folks are working at clubs and facilities across the state, from the Berkshires to Cape Cod, or perhaps they work for a company like Ahead or Titleist in a Cushnet. These are important jobs and important manufacturers that not only help support business and, and economy in, in the state, but around the world and around the globe. And we're proud to have these types of manufacturers here in the Commonwealth, right in the backyard, who not only support what we do on a daily basis, but they're champions within the game. So this, this was an opportunity for us once again to share our story, to share our impact touch on some of the environmental successes and, and practices that are followed. And we were able to really piggyback on National Golf Day, which was last week celebrated in Washington, D.C. And uh, like I mentioned on Friday of last week, we had this unveiling, if you will, at Franklin Park with folks in the industry to, to be able to share some of these stats and really to kick off the golf season for 23. Jesse, I'm, I'm just curious. I, I'm sure you went into it knowing it would be a solid positive report in many ways, but what, what really jumped out at you when it, when it was finalized? Certainly. Yeah. I would say in, in the span of that 10 year period, since the last report we did through the golf course, superintendents association of America, there's now some best practices, manuals, and, and things that superintendents can follow that ultimately help our environment and help their businesses and, and really help to help not only the promotion of the game, but the sustainability of the game. And I think something like that, through technology, through education and advancement, it allows superintendents to, to be advocates and allow these clubs and facilities to be a great facilitator of, of the environment. On top of that, seeing increase in charitable endeavors through charity outings, things of that nature, the work of the U.S. Open to pump in multiple couple million dollars worth of charitable impact through DE&I and the Lee Elder Internship Program. What a platform the U.S. Open was in many ways. And another example of that is, is just the engagement that we're seeing on the golfer front. Tee times are so hard to come by since the pandemic. You have wait lists at private clubs. So we're seeing this, this boom of the, of the sport, of the game. We're seeing people engage in it a little bit differently. And I think we're all seeing a benefit of that. And for us at Mass Golf, it, it probably ties into our membership ranks. For, I'd call it five to eight years, we were leveled off at about 85,000 individual golfers as part of our membership. We've now eclipsed 110,000 individual golfers that are part of our community now. And we're going to see that continue to grow. So I would say those few call-outs are really the highlights of, of what we're we're experiencing. You're obviously a, a forward-thinking guy, and you've been with Mass Golf for 
15, 16, 17 years now in, in a variety of, of roles. Looking at the impact report and then looking forward, where are some places you think like, oh, we got, we got some room for growth here. We've, this is in the next impact report. We'd love to see this maybe improvement. Yeah, well, I think from a facility standpoint, we, we've probably hit that threshold, right? 340 golf facilities within the state. We're seeing so much more with technology, though, on the simulator front or kind of your non-traditional, non-green grass type of facilities. We've got a few top golfs that are being built within the, the New England region, one specifically in Canton. I think those types of experiences are ultimately going to help as an on-ramp to really build out our community and, and kind of uh, sustain the game, if you will. But on top of that, all of our organizations within AMGO are, are supporters and advocates of junior golf development, whether that's PGA Junior League, if it's First Tee or Youth on Course or a program like First Green, getting kids out into the golf course to touch and feel and understand how STEM can relate to the golf industry. I think those are, are what we're bullish about and things we want to really grab onto because at the end of the day, youth is our farm system. The youth in this game are going to be our future golfers, our future members, and uh, those that want to participate in all that we have to offer. Yeah, I think like getting that it, two things, just uh, Callaway, I think, did a in their economic kind of report last year. They said this is the last year was the first year that more golf balls were hit off of a golf course site than on a golf course site. Top golf simulators. So that is definitely a part of the game that's going to grow. I'm interested to see how Top Golf in Canton kind of pulls a new a new group in. And then that junior piece, like we're sitting here right now and the three of us are in a, on a Zoom talking about golf and then people will listen to it on a podcast and like there are so many ways for people to get involved in the game, not just playing it or not working at a golf course. Those are all ways to get involved too, but there's just, I think the avenues and the ways to stay in the game once you start playing it as a eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 year old are, are pretty fascinating. And I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing kind of what, what happens going forward in the next 10 years in, in that respect too, once you get those juniors hooked and they just want to be around the game in whatever way they can be around the game. No doubt. Yeah. I mean, golf is a lifestyle, right? So you can make it what you, what you want. Um, you're a fan of the game. You're engaged in some fashion. Perhaps the U.S. Open was your first entree into the sport. And now we can find a, a particular home for you. I think we all agree golf is not that 18-hole traditional round anymore. It's what you want to make of it. It's the time you have available. Maybe it's that hour at a simulator or on an hour of instruction, right? So I think we've got to be nimble and, and considerate of that long term. What's, what's the challenge? How big is the challenge? You have endless amount of players that want to play competitively. I, I think, was it the state football? Did I read it correctly? There were 192 teams, something like that. And yet there were probably how many more that wanted to get me? I was 70th on the waiting list. <laughs> it, 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 I, it. It's it blows my mind, and I, I tell people all the time: you have no idea how many people really want to play competitive golf. Now, I'm a guy that could I, I run from competitive golf. I, I run to the golf course, can't wait to play. Just don't don't make it competitive. And I'm clearly in the minority because I am just blown away by how good your organization is, how many tournaments your organization runs, how well run they are. And yet 
you got to have meetings all the time saying, okay, we need to do more. How how can we do more? These are great questions and, and what we like to discuss, yes, in that war room. To the four ball specifically, we probably could have had two concurrent four balls going yeah. on simultaneously. And hey, maybe that's something we consider down the road. The demand has been remarkable for these events, qualifiers, championships, you name it. First and foremost, though, I think we've got to call out our member clubs who open their doors and support these events, uh, supporting amateur golf, no matter at what level, and offering these opportunities for different demographics or cross-sections of players, no matter what handicap or, or age they might be or, or gender they might be. So that's, that's first and foremost a, a very special nugget that I wanted to, to call out. I think for us, adjusting a few conditions and regulations to make sure we're, we're doing things in an equitable manner are, are really important given this level of demand. You saw some changes to the four ball from first come, first serve to really capturing the, the top handicapped eligible teams for that competition. There's going to be certain events or championships we need to expand on. Regional qualifying has been a benefit to, to cast a wider net and to get more people included there. But, you know, we've got to be strategic as well. We run over 120 events throughout the year from, again, championships, tournaments, qualifiers, and that may be a mass golf event, a New England Golf Association event, or even a USGA qualifier that we support. But on top of that, there's many other groups and organizations that are calling on these clubs to support their events or their programs. If it's the New England PGA or the We Met Fund to support an outing of theirs. The superintendents have monthly meetings where they're relying on on host facilities as well. So wanting to be able to strike that balance, making sure that we're, again, not only inclusive, but can offer a service to the majority and making sure we can cater to may not be 110,000 individuals looking for a competitive championship, right? But maybe it's a member day. Maybe it's another development type program that we can get creative with. And then again, harping on the, the off-season or the indoor facilities, there, there's some unique experiences we could consider that can allow for more people to participate in the game. Yeah. You, mentioned member, you mentioned member days and just thinking about the kind of just the other opportunities as people are listening to this and they think like, I'd like to kind of dip my toe into playing maybe a different golf course or meeting a bunch of different people. What what are those member what 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 is a member day? And then are there other opportunities like that for for folks who who want to be a little bit adventurous and maybe end up in five or ten years on a four ball waiting list, like I was. A great question. Yeah. So the member day program has been an absolute home run for us in many ways. It provides that access you spoke of. We run between 20 and 25 member days annually, predominantly at private clubs. So in some ways it does drive revenue and business to them on days they may have vacant that they can open up their doors. But for the golfers, the members of of Mass Golf to have an opportunity to play these facilities that they wouldn't have an opportunity to do at a reasonable rate where they can have a nice experience, see a new venue for the first time, potentially bring either play by themselves, bring one, two, or three guests, maybe friends, family, what have you. It is mainly about the access, but there is a, a slight level of competition there, which we, we're happy to offer. For folks that want to sign up, it could just be a casual day to play, but some may be looking for that, that taste of competition. And similarly, we offer a series of tournaments, team tournaments. We have several women's tournaments on the schedule as well. And these are, again, opportunities to kind of get that taste but balance a little bit of competition and camaraderie at the same time. 
I, I get a figure you got coming up. There's no way any of your officials will be late showing up for the state open. The best commute ever for them. <laughs> I'll tell you, we are excited to be right there in the backyard <laughs> at TBC Boston. This is actually my first championship proper at Mass Golf with TBC. We've had a few other few other events, tri-state matches, which have a little bit of a different buzz to them. But what a stage, right? What a platform yeah. to to open up for the top amateurs and professionals in a few weeks. I think I think I think it's enticing because a lot of people have seen the place. They've walked it. They've with the Deutsche Bank and there for years. They know the course. It it's centrally located, pretty easy to get to, as we all know. It's going to be. I, I would think. You always look forward to the state open, but for this one, there's something special about this year's, I think. I completely agree with you. You, you make a good point that many have walked the grounds, maybe played in a, in a charity event out there, or even maybe our first tee tournament on an annual basis. But the golf course is, is first class. It's going to be a great test. It is challenging. I will say I'm glad we didn't schedule it for this week with, with our friend Taylor Swift in town because it would have yeah. been a little <laughs> challenging, right? But no, this is, I think there is a lot of buzz, Jim, and, and we're starting to feel that. And you can sense it not only from the signups of registrations, but what we're hearing and seeing around the community and, and players wanting to, to come into town from different parts of the region and beyond. I played it last week with a with a buddy and it's 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 looking like it's going to be humming in 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 what is it three weeks from now they they've got a they've got a rolling pretty good right now so it looks it's going to be a good week i would encourage anyone to go out and just watch watch good golf get access to good golfers it's it's certainly i'm looking forward to getting down there and and spending a day or two so for sure a few more qualifiers to to solidify our field but we're getting very close yeah well i know jim renner snuck in he i believe he was up at granite links and when i talk to players over the years they still i remember michael welch he won it and he, he i don't know that he can come back that often but it 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 always struck me that guys really love coming back for this thing we've had a loyal following and as you both know the the history of the mass open is is pretty remarkable with the names on our past champion list but of late players who have participated in, in U.S. Opens and other national championships, but still it has some substance to it. The purse remains to be one of the strongest in the region. It is, in my view, I think it's a it's a great sequence of events because a lot of the other Opens that take place in the region follow the Mass Open. So it's a nice opportunity to to hang your hat in the area for four to six weeks and make your way throughout New England. U.S. GA involvement just in the last year and a half in Massachusetts has been pretty clear, right? There was a U.S. Mid-Am in Nantucket in the, in September 21. Obviously, the U.S. Open was here last summer. And then U.S. Senior Am was down in Catansit. And just thinking about the, you mentioned kind of that impact of the U.S. Open specifically at Brookline and, the, and that in the impact report and just USGA is coming back again next year in 2024. Just your partnership with USGA, how those numbers were boosted by their kind of being here for the for those three events, in particularly the U.S. Open. No question. I, I think the the big word I like to to consider there is just engagement, and it's it's an opportunity for golf enthusiasts who, who don't have that chance to experience a USGA national championship 
to do so. And yeah, you called it out. Three national championships in Massachusetts in the span of 18 months. Nantucket Island, that was pretty unique and, and special for those mid-ams. The U.S. Open being probably the pinnacle to not have a national championship like that in our state for a couple of decades. And then the, the U.S. Senior Am at Catancet to kind of wrap up the the season there. I think that trio, it was, it was an opportunity for, for Mass Golf to be a partner there, right? And to help promote, market, and, and kind of share the story to have our local talent be able to participate in those championships and put the spotlight on them. If it's a Michael Thor Bjornsson or a Nick Macario or Frank Vanna Jr., these players we see on a, on a fairly regular basis, but that's a next rung up, right? That is, you're playing against the best of the best, um, whether it's in this country or, or across the world. And just going back on, on Brookline for a moment, I think the club did a, an absolutely remarkable job in opening their doors and, and, and being receptive to what this stage is for not only for golf fans, but for anybody within the state to have this experience. And I mentioned earlier the Lee Elder internship opportunity, some other DE&I initiatives. It was just so impactful. And I think it, it took the spotlight for, for really what we saw in 2022. It's also quality. It- Local players going nationally playing. I mean, Molly Smith and her sister Morgan did quite well out at the women's amateur four ball. I think they were what tied for Wraith. Yeah, they're a ninth qualified. Yeah, went in. They went in. How much golf do we play up here? January, February, March, April. Not much. You, you saw what Molly did down the U.S. local qualifier. Stuff like that. I know that that's not all owed to mass golf, but a lot of it is, and it's got you got to take pride in that when they go out and play so beautifully. Yeah, I, I would completely agree with you, and I think we've seen such a, a shift in that dynamic. Maybe in the last ten years, we've always had some great talent that makes it on that national stage, but the depth chart just seems so much stronger and robust. And it's hard to put your finger on exactly why or how that might happen. But number one, I think Massachusetts is on the, the radar in many ways, whether it's from hosting these events to the caliber of play that we offer. We're seeing so many more college players get developed and have these doors and, and opportunities open to them for scholarship. I, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but just seeing these D1 college golf bags lined up at our events, you didn't see that 10 or 15 years ago. So right. perhaps it's that opportunity to keep a golf club in your hand, stay healthy, stay fit for 12 months of the year. Maybe there's opportunities to do some traveling and have some other experiences through the AJGA or avenues of similarly. So I think there's, and I, I guess we should say, I don't think Shannon Johnson or Matt Parziali or Michael Thorbjornson winning a national championship, I think drives a little bit of additional interest and maybe that, that oomph that other players say, well, they can do it in a seasonal environment. Why can't I? So I think that drives a little bit of, of momentum there. Yeah. Loved. It warmed my heart to see James Driscoll also just get through local qualifying this week, just as a, a, a guy who was, who was on the on the radar in the late nineties and made a USAM final. And then suddenly he's, you know, he's going to be back in 36 holes away from maybe playing in a, in the U S open. So that stuff, like, I think he's one of those players who might've put kind of put mass golf on the radar, that first kind of churn through of, of guys and, and women playing the sport as well. So I, I, that was a great kind of little nugget to see him 
I follow him on Instagram. He's always grinding and really working hard on his game. So it was good to see him come through. James, he's an awesome story, right? I mean, from growing up at Charles River, playing at Virginia, playing in the Masters, having a, a really solid professional career. And I, I agree, to see him get through local qualifying, it, it's not the same as it once was, right, when he was at his peak. But he's also doing some really cool things for the game, right? He coached at Brookline High, so he wants to give back. He wants to see the opportunities that he had through the lens of, of some other kids and youth. So an absolute champion of mass golf, no doubt. Absolutely. I got I to gotta ask one last question. I don't know. I don't know if even you can kind of speak to it, but obviously this winter there was the discussion of a new golf ball, MLR, and all that. And and as as a golf association, what what kind of wheels start turning when the USGA, maybe not even specifically to the rollback. I'm not looking for your opinion or thoughts, but just what's the what's the trickle down effect on a golf association when the USGA comes out and says like here's a thing we are thinking about enacting in the next two to three years. What's, what's your role in that either before or after those announcements are made and, and the conversations that happen kind of maybe behind closed doors or in, with open doors? Sure. No, it's a fair question. And, and governance is, is never easy. Like it's been said, we are a partner of the USGA. We are the local conduit, if you will, from a rules education, handicap education standpoint, we conduct their USA qualifiers right right here in the state. So in a lot of ways, we, we need to be patient here to understand exactly what may come of this. And I think it, we have to encourage anyone and everyone to provide feedback because there is an open period right now to do so. And we experienced that as well through the rules of golf from a couple of years ago. And I think that's healthy. I'm glad that they've opened up that opportunity for feedback, transparency. At the end of the day, I think we're always going to have folks on both sides of the equation, right? But if if the notion is sustainability and the future of the game, we're land-strapped here in Massachusetts, right? There's a lot of facilities that you just can't build additional tees. There's many facilities that don't have the space for a driving range and, and to have that type of experience. So I think we need to be strategic in that thought process. I'm not going to give you my personal view. No, but no I wouldn't ask for <laughs> But at, at the end of the day, I think we want to do what's right for the game. We are in a position where we've got to carry out elite competitions. So we are in a bit of a waiting period to determine what exactly is that elite competition. Is it, does it carry out through all three open championships? Does it make its way down to an event like the Northeast Amateur or the Mass Open or the Mass Amateur? You're going to have a, an interesting situation with college players, right? and where they fit into the mix, and then how that translates to an association run event. So a lot of moving parts there. But again, I think the intent is 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 appropriate. And I think thinking 15, 30, 45 years down the road is hugely important for the industry. No question. Yeah, for sure. A lot of questions, though, yeah. still to be answered with that. Which is why they have three years of time to figure it all out. It's, it's complicated, a lot of a lot of stakeholders. And like you said, there's just so many people playing golf and, and that's important to, to kind of get it right and get it right for all the stakeholders, golf courses, superintendents, golfers, competitive golfers. So Jesse, we want to thank you for joining. I think I would encourage everyone to go and at least just check out the summary of the impact report. It kind of just gives a really good overview and a good reminder of like how positive golf can be on the lives of everybody. 
whether it's just getting out and walking for nine holes uh, with a bag on your back or pushing it around, playing with family. That's how I learned how to play the game. So uh, just some good little reminders in there beyond just the big numbers of just how important golf is to the state and to the to the country and people's well-being and, and health. And so we thank you for kind of spearheading all of that. Our pleasure, guys. And again, great to be with you to kick off the year and always appreciate the support. Thanks. Have a Thanks, good summer. Jesse. Take care. Great stuff from from Jesse there. Any just quick takeaways, Jim, before we get to Golf Course Confidential? I just l- love the fact that they did that because we've we've heard, oh, golf is good right now. Golf is, everyone's playing. And they put the time, the FM put some numbers on the paper and and they really show that it's, it reaches in a lot of different avenues. Yeah. No, not not so much the anecdotal. Well, it's just hard to get tee times. They, yeah. they put numbers behind a lot of the stuff that I think a lot of golfers who have been playing forever certainly certainly felt. And let's we talked a little bit about popularity of golf courses and just public golf in this state is great. And so I wanted to shine the light on, on another Massachusetts nine-hole golf course. Now it's time for another installment of Golf Course Confidential Furnace Brook. A place that's maybe near and dear to your heart. I, I, I have not picked these golf courses knowing that you like them or not. I've just picked <laughs> ones that I've kind of played recently or I personally like and think deserve, deserve, deserve some flowers. So I think it's funny that I'm picking ones that you yeah. you like. We did Bass River before and you lit up when we did yeah, Bass River. Bass River is great. Furnacebrook in, is it in Quincy? It's Quincy. Okay, it's in Quincy. It's not North Quincy, it's North Quincy. Quincy. Okay. Yeah, it's nine holes and it's unique. Yes, that's a good unique, way to put it. Unique, and that's that's not the old Gary player, one of its, <laughs> one of the best of its kind. It's unique in that there are nine holes, and every one is different. Yep, yeah, it's it's a good land. Kind of first the first tee box you stand, you can see kind of the the water. You're looking out, the planes going by. So it's a nice setting. You have no idea where your first tee shot's going because it's directly downhill. And like you can play nine holes for 40 bucks as a non-resident. So I drove down from Boston and played it on a, on a, I think I played it on a Wednesday morning. You can pay for 40 bucks. Went around once. It's 50 to 65 bucks on the weekend. 6,000 yards if you want to play all the way back. It used to be a private golf course. And then it's slowly kind of, it's become yeah, public it, it, over it, it, the last it, 70 years or so. Right. And it had a lease with the, the city of Quincy was, they leased it out. Now the city of Quincy is taking it back under roof. Yeah. And it has some of those like golden age kind of private golf course feel. The bunkers are, are kind of nice. The green sites are pretty good. I thought the most interesting hole was the seventh hole. <laughs> which, well, which is maybe one of the more unique golf holes in the a, state. It depends when you get it. It could be a four or it could be a three. Yeah, so I played on a school day. I know That's that. A three. So it's a par three because there is a school along the left side of this normally mm-hmm. par four. And, I mean, there were like 150 children out on the yeah. playground running around. And I would imagine they are ripe for the picking with oh, some yes. folks who get either lefties who have a the, the typical – amateur slice or you get some righties who might have a, a vicious hook and i mean they are they are right there so you have to yeah. walk probably what 150 yards it turns into a 150 yard par three um yeah, it's a split it's a split terrain yeah you, the fairway is kind of cool up right you can stay up high but every most but most players are down low so yep 
And then, yeah, it's, it's a wild hole. It, it, yeah. So that was, I think I've, I have not played a hole that was different on school days than it is on the Correct. weekends in the state. If anyone knows Correct. of any other ones, please reach out to me. Cause that's, it's, it was, it was yeah. pretty fascinating. The, we've been talking about like how dry it's been around here. It was, I played in April and it was dry and there's some shots there where you like the greens are tiny and it's hard. Oh, to, it's hard. To, it's hard to hold some, some shots, even with wedges into some of those greens. Tough to get on in the afternoon. They got a lot of leagues and that kind of stuff. So if you want to play it, maybe try to play in the morning. But Furnace Brook, I was kind of just pleasantly surprised walking around. I played with a father and a son, and uh, the son was playing hooky from school, an eighth grader. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was uh, it was just a nice a nice walk, a good spot, way up high, a lot of hills, good walk. And if you find a true Quincy legend person of historical insight, they'll tell you it used to be a ski ski resort oh really yes oh that's amazing heavenly hill before it was a golf course well it was it was a while it was a golf course in the winter they would they would turn it into heavenly hill and they would rope tow you up up and down the hill and if there was anyone who remembers that they'll remember how much they hated rope toes yeah (laughs) and they'll sit in a gondola any day of the week but yeah it was a little little little, amazing a lot of a lot of people learned how to ski up there probably some great sledding there too these days I um, would bet. in the in the winters well thanks for joining the on course new england golf journal podcast today please rate review subscribe to the podcast on your preferred platform uh, we're also on youtube so that would be another place to check us out thanks to dave yaz for producing this podcast the on course podcast is a siemens media production 